0: I always appreciate coming to real life because it is real and uh, you're meeting the needs of people who um, really need to know Jesus and and, uh, follow after him. And I I really appreciate your pastor. I don't know if you know that or not, but I really appreciate Corey and his friendship and the sharing that he and I do almost on a weekly basis. So uh, we encourage one another, we challenge one another, and uh, we help one another as we prepare to be uh, God's servants wherever he calls us. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. We thank you that you are alive. The tomb is empty. The cross has spoken. And we can come to you and receive that forgiveness and find relationship with you. Lord, we're going to claim your promise that your word won't go forth and return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me get out of your way so that you can work. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I do have a number a lot of scripture in my message this morning, so I just have to bear with me. It's just kind of the way it happened. But I want to start out with 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verses 4 and 5, where where Peter says, Coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." Now one of the things that we know, you know, that uh, comes across over and over and over again in Scripture is that Jesus was rejected by those to whom He came. Jesus was rejected by the people that He literally came to save. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. and Those very people are the ones who rejected him. And Peter here says he's been rejected by men, but what is he? He's precious in the sight of God because he is the mediator between God and us. He provided a way for us to have a relationship with God. And Peter refers to him as the living stone. In another place, he says Jesus was rejected, but now he's the cornerstone, the most important stone. And here Peter also says that you are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. When Corey asked me to preach and I thought about what all's been going on with real life, I, those, this verse popped into my head immediately. We are living stones if we are a part of God's family. And we are being built into What God wants us to be so that we can reach out to the community and share the good news of the gospel with the people that God puts in our influence. So I was thinking you have moved from one space to another space and you were at the Civic Center for a long time but this morning the Civic Center is sitting there nothing but brick and mortar it isn't alive there's nothing going on there because you aren't there. The living stones that God is building up are not present in the Civic Center. The same is true with this building. This building is brick and mortar. It's not alive. Nothing goes on here until you show up. And when you show up, this becomes an alive place because you are those living stones that God is building into his spiritual house. And then he says, so that you can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. He's talking about serving one another, loving one another, taking care of one another, worshiping together, and encouraging one another. Then one of my other favorite passages of Scripture is in Romans 12, 1. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable." to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, Paul, that's just another way to say that you are living stones. Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your service. It means we're gonna reach out and meet the needs of people around us and share the good news of the gospel. I I, I thought of this when I read those, those words. If Jesus died for me, the least I can do is live for him. So I would encourage each and every one of us to think about ourselves as those living stones, that living sacrifice, and that if Jesus died for us, the least we can do is live for him and use our gifts and abilities in the way that honors and glorifies him and draws people into the kingdom of God. And the good news is we don't come to Jesus with the old Testament sacrifices of slain animals. We come to Jesus with yielded hearts and yielded lives, and we give those to Jesus to be used in the way that He wants to use us. So my, my sermon this morning is called Living Stones, but the subtitle is Be Transformed. Be Transformed. I don't know what's going on behind me. I'll have to look occasionally. So be transformed. If you are a living stone and you are a living sacrifice, you're a part of God's family, and you are following after him, you are being transformed if you're reading the word and following after what God wants you to do. Second Corinthians chapter five, the 17th verse says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he says, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. So in one sense, this transformation is kind of instantaneous, isn't it? We go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We go from death to life. We go from being a lost child to being a child of God. That's an instantaneous transformation that moves me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in another sense, this is a process. It's a lifelong journey of being transformed. And Paul is all about challenging us about conforming and transforming because he knows that it is so easy to conform to the world and so difficult to be transformed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the and the Word of God. So he, Paul challenges us, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because he knows that you and I live in a difficult world. Would you agree? We live in a difficult world, don't we? Stuff is going on all around us. It's kind of, it's getting kind of crazy, really. And uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm starting to have a little more respect for some of those guys. Not a lot, but a little, cause it seems like some crazy things are going on. My mom, my mom's 84, I think she is, and she's told us for years that there, there's a conspiracy out there in the medical world to keep us all sick so they can sell drugs to us. And I said, "Mom, I don't think that's true, but you know what? I can't convince her otherwise, and she's older than me, so I have to respect her her opinion, right?" So anyway, you know, one of the things that Jesus did when he taught was he used common, everyday things to help people understand what he was trying to get across. The disciples needed to understand what it meant to follow him and be transformed, and so. The first thing that I wanna talk a little bit about is vines and branches. Jesus used the example of vines and branches. So in John chapter 15, the fifth verse, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if we read the whole chapter of John chapter 15, we find there a very powerful uh, picture or image of a deep connection to Jesus and the transformation that follows. We are as connected to Jesus as the vine is to a tree. You and I are as connected to Jesus as a vine is to the tree. You know, branches get their life, grow and produce fruit by being connected to the vine. And Jesus says we bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be his disciples. So our life, our thoughts, our actions, everything about us has to grow from this relationship that we have with Jesus, this powerful, deep connection that we have to Him. And so following Jesus involves more than just going through the motions and intellectual agreement. It's more than, more than just obedience and faith. We are united to Jesus in a very supernatural and life-giving way by the Holy Spirit. When we receive, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says you will receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And so the vines and branches is just a, a, a picture for us and for the disciples of what it means to really be connected with Jesus and to allow that transformation to take place. If you think about uh, what happens as plants grow, they get bigger and grow more leaves and they produce fruit. And you know, if you have a garden, you wanna see your, your uh, produce uh, grow and produce fruit, that's what God wants. He wants to see transformation in my life and see me growing and producing the fruit of that relationship that I have with him. So secondly, so Jesus uses vines and branches to, to let the disciples know how tight that connection has to be. And then the second thing I want to talk about is life and death. Because connection to the vine, to the, to the vine means life. Disconnection from the vine means death. And so in John chapter 15, he begin in verse one, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so these are Jesus' words. And, you know, as we begin to think about our lives, our lives are filled with all kinds of contrasts, aren't they? There's a contrast between night and day. There's a contrast between hot and cold. There's a contrast between wealth and poverty. Uh, So this connection with Jesus demonstrates to us the difference, the contrast of life and death. If we're connected to Jesus, there's life. If we're disconnected from Jesus, there is no life. It's like a branch lying on the ground, cut off from the vine. It's very different from a branch that is connected to the vine. The branch on the ground is lifeless, dead, dried up. We collect them and burn them, Jesus says. The branch on the vine is alive and strong, full of energy and purpose, and produces fruit. You know, I I, uh, attend and do a lot of funerals and I've seen a lot of cut flowers in, in, in all of the years that I've done a lot of funerals. And you know what happens to cut flowers? They're beautiful for a short time, but they've been disconnected from the life source, haven't they? And pretty soon they begin to wilt and they begin to turn brown and they begin to get ugly. And if they sit around long enough, they start to stink and so this, that's the picture we need to think about. When we're disconnected from Jesus, we're like those cut flowers that are disconnected from life and we begin to wither and, and to shrivel and to turn brown and maybe even stink just a little bit, you know? But if we're connected, every now and then, if someone will bring to a funeral, they'll bring an actual plant, and you'll hear people say, oh, I'll take this home because this will still last, right? This will continue on. So there's a difference between life and death, and we need to bear that in mind and know that there's life in Jesus and there's death apart from Jesus. We are spiritually alive only because of our connection with Jesus. That life-giving connection to him gives us energy and purpose. Paul says in Romans 12 that that connection with Jesus is what keeps us from being conformed to the world and transforms our thoughts so that we know and follow God's will. And if we begin to know and follow God's will, that will lead us to being transformed from the inside out. Transformation is from the inside out. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the writer says, Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you i will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh i will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws so ezekiel says i'm going to give you a new heart i'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh i will keep your my spirit, spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so that transformation begins on the inside and works its way out. It moves to the outside. It moves to the external. It eventually leads to transformation, and it leads to changes in my life and actions. That transformation begins on the inside when Jesus changes my heart. I receive him as my savior, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. That transformation begins there and then moves out and begins to transform my life and to change my, the way I interact with people, my relationships with people, the way I live. So we need, to be, we need to be seeing transformation that lets us know that Jesus truly is my Lord and my savior. In John 15, 12, he says, my command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you." So Jesus commands Christians to love one another. And sometimes that's difficult because people get on our nerves, don't they? Uh, they bug us, they, they just irritate us from time to time. And so Jesus commands us, he says, love each other as I have loved you. And then how much are we supposed to love each other? He said, we are to lay down our lives. Now I've thought about that passage. Now sometimes it might mean to literally lay down your life. To give your life physically for someone to maybe to protect them from something that's happening but what i really think jesus means there when he or uh, paul no jesus not paul i what jesus really means there is to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow after him and to love the people around us and to care for one another and to love even the unlovable I, i met a fellow the other day. I was talking to him and and I was listening to his story and uh, he was telling me about his life and uh, everything about what he was talking about was kind of contrary to what I thought life should be and I found myself getting a a little bit irritated with him and then I thought to myself, no, God has put this person in my life at this point in time for me to have a conversation with him so he knows somebody cares for him, somebody loves him and somebody has his best interest at heart. And so I have said, God, please change my thought process so that I'm not judgmental of this person just because we don't agree. I can still love him and share the good news of Jesus with a person with whom I don't agree. Would you agree with that? The world in which you and I live has become very, very, very divided. You know, our country is nearly split right down the middle, 50-50. I mean, it's just 50-50, and uh, if we don't start changing the way we treat one another, things could get really dicey. And so we need to learn to love one another, even when we don't agree. And learn to agree to disagree, but yet love one another as Christ loves us. So following Jesus begins on the inside, transforms our ability to love and relate to people, When you're faced with those folks that are difficult for you, ask him, say, Lord, help me right now in this moment. You know, you and I, as the body of Christ, should be different than the rest of the world in our relationship with people. Wouldn't you agree? We should be different in our relationships with other people. But oftentimes, or sometimes, we're not. We just don't allow God's Spirit to transform us and change us. Or we don't think about. We, we don't think about it. We come to church, we hear the message on Sunday morning, and then Monday morning hits us in the face like a wet rag, and I have to get up and I have to face the world. One of my sons the other day said to me, well, it's back to reality. Now that summer is over and, my, and I don't I didn't have any place to be because I'm a teacher, now it's back to reality. I have to be places at a certain time. Well, that's the way it is when it comes to people. It's back to reality. When Monday morning comes, I mean, you can sit here this morning and listen to me talk about uh, loving one another and taking care of one another and and even when we disagree, but then when you come face to face with that person, it becomes very difficult. It really does. It becomes difficult because um, sometimes people don't do what we want, right? Sometimes they're obstinate. Paul says, as far as is possible with you, live at peace with all people. So let us do our part and allow God to transform us and and lead us along as we interact with those folks. One of the things that is important for you and me is to internalize God's word. We need to internalize God's word. That is the very thing that will change you and me, is to internalize God's word and allow his word to work in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. In John 15:3, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus is using again the vines and the branches to show that we have to um, we have to remain in him and he has to remain in us. And his words, he says, uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. So transformation, part of the whole transformation process, it comes through regular reading of God's Word. we You can't depend on just coming here on Sunday morning and uh, re- listening to some scripture and uh, singing some songs and hear Corey preach a good sermon and expect that that's going to be what's going to transform your life. That's just... This is just the time for us to come together and encourage one another, challenge one another, let let each other know what's going on in our lives. Talk about what's going on out there and what we're going to do to influence the world around us. But coming here isn't going to transform your life. Reading God's word every day, I always tell people, read God's word every day, even if it's five minutes, even if it's just a few scriptures. Read God's Word every day. I would just challenge you. I would just challenge you. Every day, find a moment and read a few verses. It doesn't have to be a lot. You'll find over time that it will expand, but it doesn't have to be a lot. Rick Warren used to say, get the good news in the morning before you get the bad news. Because, you know what, the moment you turn on your computer, your phone, your TV, what do you get? Bad the bad news. Because good news doesn't sell. Good news doesn't sell. Bad news sells. We want to hear the gory details about what's going on. You know, every time you uh, there was a homicide in Augusta last week or so, and... You know, and they report, oh, there was a homicide in Augusta, a certain, they gave the block, they didn't tell, they didn't tell the address of the person. And what are, we, what are we all concerned about? Oh, who is it? What happened? What's going on? It's not, oh, man, somebody died. Let's pray for that person, pray for that, not that person, pray for that family. No, no bad news sells, not good news. So Rick Warren says, get the good news in the morning before you get the bad news. So we have to read God's word every day. Several reasons for that. In Hebrews chapter four, the twelfth verse, it says, "For the word of God is a living and is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart." That is a very powerful scripture. If that is true about the Word of God, why wouldn't we want to read His Word? Why wouldn't we? Well, I can think of a reason or two we might not want to. Kind of scares the snot out of us, right? You see how powerful God's Word is, and just simply reading it can have a tremendous impact in our lives. God may call us to make some changes, Heaven forbid, right, that God call us to make some changes in our life. Or God may call us to move out in faith. And moving out in faith is tough. But sometimes reading God's word will challenge you to move out in faith, to make a change. Easton was talking about tithing this morning. Golly, if you read God's word, it might challenge you to give and I agree with Easton we don't give so that you can have a building you don't give so that you can pay Corey you don't give so you can keep the lights on see God doesn't need our money God doesn't operate in the American economy he doesn't care about the Dow Jones or Wall Street see what God is concerned about is your heart so giving isn't isn't a financial issue it's a spiritual issue and if you, you and I read God's word and take it in regularly, he'll begin to change us from the inside out, literally. Because that's how powerful his word is. It begins to challenge you. And it, it's, it's, it begins to cut, cut both ways. And pretty soon you're thinking, wow, I've been doing this for so many, this many years and I'm not sure that God wants me to do that anymore. I think maybe God's moving me over here. Or maybe you haven't been doing something. You know, it's always, we can always focus in on what we are doing that we ought not to be doing, but we need to focus equally on what we're not doing that God wants us to do. That's the oftentimes the greater challenge because that usually means some kind of action, some kind of change. I'm gonna have to do something different if I'm, if I'm gonna do something that I'm not doing right now. That's called the sin of omission. Sin of co- commission just means I've gone out and, and uh, stolen something, that's a sin of commission. But a sin of omission means I'm not doing something that God wants me to do. And if I read his word, it may convict me of that very thing, it may convict me of that very thing. I attend a Wednesday night men's group uh, in Augusta, and uh, we challenge one another quite often. And uh, we, we read the scripture, and we were reading the scripture the other evening, And all of the men in the room were looking at each other like, wow. Sometimes you read a scripture that you may have read a hundred times before, and it just speaks to you in a different way. So 12 of us guys around a circle were reading the scripture, and we're thinking, wow. As men, we really haven't been doing what God wants us to do. And we had to challenge one another to step it up and do what God wants us to do simply because we were reading his word and that word challenged us then in john 15:9, jesus said as the father has loved me so have i loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands now how are we going to keep his commands if we don't know them and the only way we're going to know them is if we read his word so I really want to challenge you on that. I know you, I probably think I'm beating this point to death too much, but it's, one of, it's important. It's vitally important to read the Bible, to read God's word. There's hardly anything more important that you can do as a Christian than to read God's word. I, I, I really honestly reading his word is vital to your spiritual health and well-being. I mean, look, you know, I've invested in this right here, and how have I invested in this? I've invested in this by eating, haven't I? And I, I don't go long without eating food, especially if it involves sweets of some kind. Uh, but I, I, if I neglect God's word, I'm neglecting the nourishment that he has for me. Don't do that. I'd rather see us fat on God's word than fat on carbohydrates. Serious, you know? Let's get fat on God's word, not on carbohydrates, because it's important that we read God's word. I read somewhere, to remain connected with Christ and experience his transformation, we must continually encounter his word. We must read his word to understand it. We must understand it to believe it, and we must believe it in order to obey it. So this author says, remain connected with Christ and experience his transformation. We must continually encounter his word. And then in John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you take John 15 all as, as a whole and wrap it together, Jesus said, I've told you all this. I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete how many of us don't want to experience joy I want to experience joy in my life but I'll admit there are times I don't and at those times I need to turn to God's Word and allow him to speak to me you know Jesus came preaching it says he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand to repent means to totally change direction and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. My relationship with Jesus will grow and mature as I read his word, as I allow him to speak to me, as I, as I begin to identify my gifts and my talents and my abilities as I read the word of God. I will become what Jesus calls a fisher of people make disciples using the talents and gifts that God has given me. the last point I wanna talk about today is our spiritual DNA. We have a spiritual DNA if we're part of God's family. The Bible says when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit indwells us. That gives us a spiritual DNA that all of us have if we're a follower of Jesus. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to make disciples. If, as we've read John 15, it's always to bear fruit, isn't it? Well, to bear fruit is to make changes in my life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that's one form of fruit. But another form of fruit is, is numerical. It's a, we begin to talk with people and share our story with people and they become followers of Jesus. So God has knit into, a, our, uh, into the fabric of our spiritual DNA a desire and the ability to make disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So I I just, I have to tell myself when I read that, when I read John 15, it talks about producing fruit. When I read Matthew 28, and it talks about go and make disciples, I I have to tell myself, Jesus wouldn't give me a command he doesn't equip me to do. He wouldn't give me a command that he won't equip me to do. And Jesus wouldn't give a command that he doesn't expect us to fulfill. Those two things, think about that. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded to you. I don't believe that God would give us a command that he won't equip us to do, and he won't give us a command he doesn't expect us to fulfill. And so that's why Jesus says in John 15 that we are to produce fruit. Now, that's challenging for you and me. It's difficult at times to share the gospel with people. You know, um, yesterday I had a funeral, and uh, one of the things the family wanted was they wanted the gospel shared. And when I was sitting around the table talking to the family about this service, I said, okay, when you say you want to have the gospel, presented what does that mean because that can mean several different things we can go real uh, politically correct and just kind of rub the surface of what the gospel is all about right say there is a Jesus out there and you need to receive him or we can we can really preach the, the gospel the good news of the gospel and that's what the family wanted they wanted they wanted everybody who was there to hear the word to understand without a doubt what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we follow through with Romans. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we shared the gospel in a place where people who were hurting and needed to hear a good news Of the story of Jesus so you know one of the things that I would just encourage you making disciples doesn't mean you have to do the that thing the Roman Road you don't have to do that you share your story every one of us in this room has a story your story starts before you knew Jesus how you came to know Jesus and how he's affected your life since you've come to know him so i would just encourage you every time you have opportunity as you're going through life so when jesus says go and make disciples he's not saying okay set aside an hour on tuesday and go out and try to speak to people when he says go and make disciples what he's literally saying is as you go as you live your life as you go to work as you go to school as you play ball whatever it is that you're doing as you go along When you have opportunity, share your story. Share the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you. Now there will be times when you will very explicitly look at the word and and delve into that. But most of the time, we have to earn the right first. And we do that by sharing our story and loving people and caring for them and helping to meet their needs. So uh, there's one verse left that I think is a difficult verse. Second Corinthians chapter 13, the fifth verse. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. That's a difficult verse. Paul's asking us to look at ourselves and to really be honest. He's one. He's asking us to look at our DNA and see what's really there. Is the Holy Spirit there? Have any of you done the DNA test on yourself? Send it in. Yeah, I did that. I regret doing it now because <laughs> it, it 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 blew away. Uh, something that our family had held to for years and years. See, my my family took pride in thinking that we were Irish, and we had a lot of Irish background. Well, I did my DNA test, and guess what? 75% English. A few other things thrown, a little bit of Irish thrown in there, and 1% Kenyan. (laughs) <laughs> I know. They took a DNA test and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is totally different than I expected. My wife took the DNA test as well. She's more Irish than I am. <laughs> and she never in her life claimed to be Irish. I was wondering about the 1% Kenyan thing. I mean, DNA tests don't lie, right? My uncle... Told us when we questioned the Kenyan thing, he said, "Well, don't you know? Your great 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 grandmother was an African American, an African, an African. Yeah, not an American. African. You know, not, Amer- not African American, African." And we're like, "Uh, no, nobody ever told us that. That isn't something we talked about around the dining room table." So that spiritual DNA test doesn't reveal things that I had no idea. So what Paul is saying here, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And that's tough. He's saying, are you really saved? Are you really following Jesus? Or are you just talking about it? Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. This is where it gets real. I wouldn't speak for anybody in the room, except for myself. I know that Jesus is in me and the Holy Spirit indwells me. That I know there are times that I fail, and times that I don't do everything God wants me to do, and there are times I do things I know he doesn't want me to do, but I know when I do my DNA test that the Holy Spirit is there. So this morning I would just encourage you, do your DNA test. Maybe you'll be surprised at what you find. I just want to encourage you that God wants to use what he's blessed you with to encourage other people and to share the good news of the gospel remember you are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to serve others let's pray Lord we thank you for your word and I just pray now Lord that we would all have a spirit-given desire to read your word, and that we would have a spirit-driven desire to know our DNA and to be totally honest with ourselves about where we are in our spiritual walk, in our walk with you. It's tough. Paul said, test yourself. He said, do you know Jesus lives in you unless... You fail the test that doesn't mean we're a failure not by no means it just means we're lost and I thank you that there's a way to fix that unlike our physical DNA that we can't change our spiritual DNA is very fixable we simply need to acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior to confess you as Lord in our life. We believe that God raised you from the dead, and you're sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as we gather here. And we invite you into our life. Be our Lord and Savior. Help us to live in a way that honors you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.